What was the message of the gospel that the first followers of Jesus were proclaiming? And is that message consistent with the message of the gospel that we proclaim? Hello friends and welcome. This is part five of a series called Evangelism in the Book of Acts. We're listening to the first sermons recorded in the Book of Acts, the first followers of Jesus proclaiming the gospel after the resurrection of Christ. What was their message? And is it different than the message we hear today? Is it different than evangelistic presentations that we might hear today? And we're going to examine them, try to learn from them, try and be taught from them. And today we're getting into Acts chapter 13. And it's Paul's turn to instruct us in how to preach the gospel, to give us an example of the gospel and how it should be preached in Acts chapter 13. Again, I'm skipping a lot of the narrative of Acts, and we're just focusing only on the sermons or the descriptions of how the gospel was preached. So in Acts 13.4, it says, Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, that's important because we've said that throughout Acts, one of the key themes is that it is the Holy Spirit empowering the preaching of his word. It's the Holy Spirit directing the expansion of the gospel. And then in verse 5, it says, When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So they're proclaiming the word of God. Now, you remember from Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says that those who were scattered after the persecution broke out after Stephen's death, it says they went about preaching the word. And then it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So we can kind of infer that proclaiming the word of God is proclaiming the Christ, proclaiming that Jesus is God's son and that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, God's forever king, the one that is bringing the kingdom of God to earth and the one that God has appointed to be judge of the living and the dead, judge of all people the one basically whom God has given supreme control of the earth to, that Jesus is going to reign as king forever, that there is a new king in town and his name is Jesus and his government is going to take over. And that government is called the kingdom of God. So in Acts 13.5, we get this very short description that they're proclaiming the word of God. And then down in Acts 13 verse 14 It says that they go from Perga and they come to Antioch and Pisidia and on the Sabbath day they go into the synagogue and sit down and then we get this sermon that Paul preaches in the synagogue and this is the first extended recording of Paul's preaching that we have in the book of Acts and it's to uh, a Jewish congregation gathered in the synagogue. I'll start reading from Acts 13.15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, 
He gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And that's where the sermon ends. And so we start to see a lot of themes, right? Some things start to feel very familiar. This has very much the same feel of those first sermons that we heard from Peter, and the same feeling of Stephen's speech, that the Jewish followers of of Jesus as they proclaim Jesus to Jews and to God-fearers in the synagogue who would be familiar with the law and the prophets, they're connecting the dots for them. They're saying, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've been hoping for. And I've heard a lot of sermons from Paul's epistles and all the letters that he wrote, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached out of this text, this long sermon, this first sermon that we have recorded by Paul in the book of Acts. And that's really neither here nor there, but I just 
think that's interesting. So let's continue, and we're just keeping in mind how the first followers of Jesus preached the gospel. What was the message that the first followers of Jesus were preaching? Uh, Later, they go back to the synagogue the next week, and it says that the Jews saw the crowds because the whole city, it says, gathered to hear the word of the Lord, and the Jews get jealous. And Paul and Barnabas speak out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Remember, that's what he talks about in Romans, that salvation came to the Jew first. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So God is at work amongst the the people who are hearing the word of God. And uh, the followers of Jesus are proclaiming the word of God. And Paul says, I wanted to bring the word of God to you first, but since you didn't receive it, I'm going to move on now. And so uh, likewise, you know, we can preach the gospel to the Jews or even non-Jews when they don't receive it. You know, sometimes it's just time to move on. And sometimes we have to realize that there are billions of people out there and God has appointed many to eternal life. Again, this is that tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and it's way above our heads, uh, but there it is in black and white in Acts chapter 13, where he says, all those appointed for eternal life believed. And that debate is beyond the purview of this particular podcast, because right now we're just looking at evangelism in the book of Acts and trying to understand what was the message of Jesus's first followers and what was proclaimed in the book of Acts. How were they sharing the gospel? And from this point on, we start to see Paul interacting with more and more Gentiles. And we're going to skip ahead, again, skipping the narrative, just going to what Paul was speaking. We see Paul preaching to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 from verses 27 to 34. The Philippian jailer comes in and says, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So again, this word of the Lord is probably an explanation of who Jesus is. Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus as the Christ, the Anointed One, the King, God's forever King in his kingdom. And those who receive the word get baptized. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, it says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So that word is that word about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did, and that forgiveness of sins and life is in the name of Jesus. And since Acts was written by one person, uh, Luke is recording Acts for us, it's pretty safe to assume that when he talks about the word of the Lord, it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him. We can kind of assume that He's talking about the same word when he uses it with Peter or Philip or now the Apostle Paul. Another note that we see here is something that we see throughout the book of Acts, how people are baptized at once. And certainly this has been lost in most church groups. A lot of groups make you wait many, many months, sometimes years before you're allowed to be baptized. But that's not the example that we have in Acts. In Acts, you know, we see the Ethiopian eunuch 
baptized immediately. We see Cornelius' household baptized immediately. The Philippian jailer is baptized immediately. And the other characteristic thing that we see is the joy that it talks about here. And it says that uh, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so there's a joy in the proclamation of the gospel that's frequently spoken of in the book of Acts. All right, skipping ahead to Acts 17, we see Paul preaching in Thessalonica. He goes to a synagogue there, and he's in the synagogue for three Sabbath days, reasoning with them from the scriptures, it says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them are persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews who were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble formed a mob, and we get the riot at Jason's house. And notice how they describe what Paul is doing. The people who come to oppose Paul say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so that's also an insight into the word that the first followers of Jesus are bringing. They're turning the world upside down. They're saying, no, 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 no. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord, and he is going to rule forever. And so they're proclaiming that the kingdom of God is entering in. It's breaking in to this world. And it's not a kingdom of violence. It's not a kingdom of force. It's a kingdom where the king has set the example through laying down his life and serving others. And it's a kingdom that starts first in people's hearts through transforming the heart and then transforming a person's life. It's not an external law that comes on the people and you have to obey it or you'll be punished. That's how the kingdoms of this world work. They have external laws and if you don't conform, they will punish you, they will kill you. The kingdom of God transforms a person's heart and lets them live out the love of God and the life of God that has been deposited on the inside of them. Skipping ahead, we have Paul in Athens in Acts 17, 18 to 34. And this, of course, is a very famous uh, part of the Bible, Paul's speech on Mars Hill. Paul is here in Athens. He's waiting for the rest of the crew to join him. But kind of like we saw Philip before, wherever Philip went, he's just proclaiming the gospel. We see that Paul is the same way. It says that he's walking around the city and his spirit is provoked within him. And he's starting to proclaim the gospel. He's reasoning with Jews in the synagogue and with people in the marketplace. So he's, he's reasoning with uh, whoever will listen. And it says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. So now he's starting to interact with people who are not of a Jewish background, people who are not familiar with the Jewish scriptures, who don't have a background in Judaism. And so we're going to see how Paul now adapts the message of the gospel to help people with no background in Judaism understand the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they take Paul to the Areopagus. This is the hill of Ares, Ares being the Greek god of war, also Mars Hill. It's the court of the Areopagus. The ESV Bible commentary I have says, this was a long-established body with extensive authority over the civil and religious life of Athens. In Paul's day, it exercised jurisdiction, especially in matters of religion and morality. 
In speaking before the group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, Paul would have addressed them either on the hill of Ares, Mars Hill, located below the Acropolis, or southwest of the Acropolis in the northwest corner of the Agora, where at the time of Paul, the group held its ordinary meetings in the royal colonnade. So Paul has gotten access to this group. Now, kind of like we observed about Philip, Paul was just being faithful to proclaim the gospel wherever he went. He was proclaiming the gospel in the marketplace, proclaiming it in the synagogue, and then he got access to this kind of prestigious uh, venue where he could share the gospel. So notice he's faithful to preach in places that were not necessarily glamorous or prestigious, and it opens up a greater opportunity for him. And again, that's an application that each of us can make to our lives, that we just be faithful where we are to preach the gospel wherever God has placed us and not wait for some kind of flashy, glamorous, uh, prestigious opportunity to speak to hundreds of thousands of people at one time, but just be faithful in the little things and allow God to use us however he sees fit. So I'm going to start reading from Acts 17, beginning in verse 22. It says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now it's really interesting to notice the how the message of Paul here is adapted to his audience. Paul connects with local culture and religion. He uses Greek poetry that's about Zeus uh, rather than Old Testament scripture like he uses in the synagogue. And yet still there's a call to repent and there's a warning of judgment to come. And he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, which he later calls in 1 Corinthians foolishness to the Greeks. Notice that in this speech, he never mentions Jesus by name, though it's possible that he had earlier because in verse 18, it says that he's a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, some Bible commentators have observed that this approach of Paul did not produce much fruit. Uh, There are few converts and there is no known church that is planted in Athens at that time. So some have suggested that when Paul goes to Corinth, when he leaves Athens and moves on to Corinth, that he actually 
changes his strategy. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So some have suggested that this approach of trying to adapt the gospel to the local culture uh, didn't work, and Paul decided, I'm not doing that again. I'm only going to talk about Jesus. I think that's a really interesting observation, though um, other Bible scholars and other commentators say, no, that's not really what happened here. I don't know that we can say definitively one way or the other, except to say, well, it is true that there wasn't a great revival that broke out here in Athens. And so um, whether or not that speaks to the merits of this approach, uh, because some people make a lot of this uh, sermon on Mars Hill that, hey, look, we have to use things that connect to the local culture to um, you know, communicate Christ to people. And again, I think we have to go back to being led by the Holy Spirit. And, and if there's any lesson to come out of evangelism and acts, it's that the Holy Spirit was guiding these men and women as they went around proclaiming Jesus. So may God be merciful to us all and give us all wisdom for each of our context. But I think we should continue to examine what were the first followers of Jesus proclaiming And is it different than what we are proclaiming today or how evangelism is done today? So from Athens, Paul sails on to Corinth, and in chapter 18, verse 5, we see that Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And kind of in contrast to what happens in Athens, it says in verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized, and the Lord tells Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, as the rest of the book of Acts unfolds, we know that Paul gets arrested, and that he gives testimony before Felix, and he appeals to Caesar, and then he gives testimony before Agrippa, and on the way to Rome, he's shipwrecked and... um, preaches the gospel in Malta, and then he arrives at Rome and uh, engages with the Jews there. And at the end of Acts, it says that he lived in Rome and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the other speeches we have from Paul in the rest of Acts are kind of his personal testimony, which I think is also really powerful for us to remember as believers, that Paul would share, this is how I encountered Jesus. This is what I was like before. This is what happens, and this is what happened to me, and this is how I believe now. And he would supplement that with scripture and the proclamation of the gospel, telling people that uh, Jesus was the Christ. Like in Acts chapter 28, it talks about that he's trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And so Paul works that into every speech he gives, but the other speeches are really more about his, his testimony and his experience and why he's been arrested and what happened to him. But that's kind of the end of these public proclamations that Luke has recorded for us in Acts. So as you think about the ways that we've heard the gospel proclaimed from the first followers of Jesus, from Peter, from Stephen, from Philip, from Paul, all the different people that have Uh, spoken out that we've read in this short little series about evangelism in Acts, 
I encourage you to think about your own style of evangelism. I've been really challenged because one of the things I noticed in the evangelism presentations in Acts, there's rarely mention of heaven or hell. I've also been really challenged because I noticed there are rarely questions. I tend to try and open conversations about the Lord with a question. You know, like in, in China, it was really easy because I could just ask someone, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? And about 50% of the people I would ask would have no idea who Jesus was. And, uh, you know, 40% would say, I, I've heard of him. He's like related to Santa Claus or something, right? And then, you know, 10% might actually have a better understanding of who Jesus was. But it was really easy to engage people in China and talk about the Lord. Sometimes it's more challenging because I don't know where to start with people because I can't ask them if they've ever heard of Jesus when I'm in America uh, because some people, you know, might find that insulting. So I'm, I'm personally being very challenged in my own efforts to preach the gospel. And I, I want to be like Philip and I want to be like Paul, just going everywhere and preaching the gospel and being faithful to proclaim Christ in every situation that I find myself in. So I hope you can reflect and think about how the first followers of Jesus presented the gospel, the message that they were proclaiming. I've tried not to offer too much commentary, but to let the word of God speak for itself and to let our hearts be challenged, to let our minds be challenged, and to think about what was the message of the gospel that the first followers of Jesus were proclaiming, and is that message consistent with the message of the gospel that we proclaim? Thank you so much for listening. God's grace be upon you as you seek to be a messenger of the good news in all of the earth. God bless you. Let the rain of heaven fill the realm of earth. Let Satan and his lies be crushed under God's church. Let the earth be glad. Let the coast rejoice. God has opened life to all who hear His voice. All blessing and honor and glory and power be unto the Lamb, now and forever. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is price to save our lives. Worthy is the Lamb.
Our lives, 